Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is Irish Illustrated Insider brought to you by Anderson, Augustino, and Keller, attorneys at law, with offices in South Bend, Indiana, serving the local community's legal needs with a diverse and innovative group of lawyers. Let their team be your edge on legal matters. Contact the lawyers at Anderson, Augustino, and Keller at 574-288-1510 or visit their webpage at aaklaw.com. Welcome to the next Irish Illustrated Insider. Pete Sampson joined by Tim O'Malley. Talk a little bit of Wake Forest, some Miami moving forward. Before we jump into that, I want to give everyone an update on our colleague, Tim Priester. As many of you know, he suffered a heart attack Saturday before the Wake Forest game, was hospitalized immediately, received great care. And uh, from all the reports we got, he's on the road to recovery now. We're getting some optimistic news from the family. So please keep him in. Um, your thoughts and prayers moving forward, but that's some good news that we have to offer on that front. And there's no segue into football, but we'll try to make one anyway. Uh, Tim, it was, as we talked about our instant analysis after the Wake Forest game, the, the 48-37 win, a score that I have to double-check every time because it just doesn't look like that could have occurred. Um, it was an interesting one, and it was an uneven one, and it was one that I, I feel like you sort of have to keep in perspective and parse it apart a little bit to understand what happened that matters moving forward and what happened that maybe doesn't. Yeah, one point is 34-10, got away from Notre Dame's defense in the fourth quarter. You know, Wake Forest scored four touchdowns after it was, excuse me, three touchdowns after it was 34-10, and that's about the last 17 game minutes. Notre Dame answered one of them to kind of make sure there was not going to be a problem, any, any weird comeback attempt in the fourth quarter. Wake Forest had 160 yards on their last two drives. They Notre Dame still would have given up too many yards, I think, if you want to look at it for past performances on the game. It'd still be over 400. But as you mentioned, Wake Forest, uh, I like the way they're on their offense. John Wolford's a very efficient, experienced, confident quarterback. Their offense is actually a tougher unit to stop than the one Notre Dame will face this week. Not a better football team, but a tougher unit to stop offensively. They, they really run their stuff well, and... That was without their best player. So as Drew Tranquil said, hats off to Wake Forest. As Brian Kelly, Brandon Wimbush, Drew Tranquil, Mike McGlinchey all made reference to on the, kind of on the side. You need to be more focused for 60 minutes against your opponent. And I think that's what Notre Dame fans are kind of mad about is all year long they were, and this was the first time they were not. Yeah, it, it was a surprise. I do think that it wasn't, even if the last few drives hadn't occurred, it wasn't a great performance by Notre Dame's that's, defense. That's I mean, I was sort again. of going through yards per play. And if when you get to the point where, I think on their last three drive, if you if you took out their last four touchdown drives, just like how was Notre Dame's defense playing before that, it really wasn't playing that great. Um, they were at, at that point, Wake Forest had run 52 plays for 289 yards, at five, so that's 5.5. Five yards per play. It's about a would, yard and a half more than most teams get against Notre Dame. That That's, would be the yeah. second worst yards per play of the season behind Michigan State. Now, then it all really went 
sideways. The last four drives, they were at 7.8 yards per play, which is ridiculous. There's what um, Notre Dame averages for the season. Yeah, <laughs> that's how good Wake Forest was on offense. They were Notre Dame good. Um, I So you, you come away thinking, I was like, okay, what the heck happened there? I think human nature caught up to Notre Dame, which it was going to eventually. You know, We give them a lot of credit for, for delaying that as long as they did. Um, and I, I thought it was interesting on Brian Kelly's Sunday conference call where he said they got too cute on defense. Because uh, very rarely do you hear a coach say, kind of got outcoached on that one. And people freak out about the term outcoach they shouldn't because there's a, one coaching staff wins and one loses every week. And that's sports. Yeah. So uh, I, I do give Dave Clawson a lot of credit. But I, I think Brian Kelly looks at his staff and says, you know what, we tried to – we outfought ourselves here, and there were some plays that jumped out to me. Um, you know, some were just mental mistakes. I think Nick Watkins on the first series had two really glaring examples of that, which is probably why he came out of the game where it looks like he plays the wrong coverage on one snap, and then a few snaps later he fits the wrong run hole and it turns into, I, I think, a 20- or 30-yard run off to the right. Um, then at, late in the game... It's a there was a third and seven play. It was on the last drive. Didn't really mean a whole lot, but instead of just playing it straight up, Dalen Hayes stunts inside. Tavon Coney like comes across the formation, gets through a different gap, and then it just leaves the left side of the defense completely exposed. And Wake Forest is like, sure, we'll just run over here, and they turn that into a, a first down run conversion on third and seven. So I think there were some examples of Notre Dame as Brian Kelly said, trying to get a little too cute. And I don't think that's something that will be an issue moving forward. No, I wouldn't think so. And if you want to take a few positives away defensively, they did, Notre Dame did stop seven straight third downs and took the score from trailing 3 nothing to a head 34-16. Um, that is situationally good defense because mm-hmm. they were getting, there were drives, they, there were yards being accrued on. They, these were not a lot of three and outs. That, that was... The only three and outs happened. Uh, I see two three and outs when the game had not yet been decided. The other three play drives are touchdowns, so that's not what you're looking for in a defense. Um, but the seven straight third down conversions, I guess, is a plus. Um, tackling wasn't great, and I do think they got tired. Pete, you have some snap counts in the fourth quarter, and that you know being tired is not an excuse. It's you, you got tired because you didn't sub sub enough like you normally do. Right, as it's. it's and it's also a strategy if you're yeah. Wake Forest. Um, you know, Nick Coleman, I had at 88 real snaps, which is as basically every play that was run in the game. Uh, and then Julian Love, I think, I had at 84. Jalen Elliott at 70. Uh, I haven't done the linebackers yet, but I'm assuming Drew Tranquil will be in the 80 to 85 range because Asmar Bilal didn't play a whole lot. Um, I mean, the the fact that as I'm as I'm charting the last drive of the game, it's still Dalen Hayes. Jerry Tillery, Jonathan Bonner, Jay Hayes, Niles Morgan, Tavon Coney, Drew Tranquil, and then Pride, Love, Elliott, Coleman. It tells you that Notre Dame either didn't feel comfortable at that point or needed to prove a point. I'm not really sure, but um, they did. Think- they did. They didn't rotate nearly as much as I thought that they would. They got scored on anyway, but I think. They didn't feel comfortable putting in backups that were certainly going to get scored on by that clicking offense. You can't just throw Dante Vaughn. About, this is not disparaging Dante Vaughn. You yeah. can't throw, for example, Dante Vaughn freshly into a game where they are clicking at the end like that and expect him to go keep up and play well. But the, the problem with that is Nick Coleman has had a very has an undervalued solid season. I think people worried about him, including us. 
88 snaps is too many snaps for Nick Coleman in a football game. That that's that shouldn't present. I wonder if you will see Sean Crawford at field corner more in this game, if they will tax him against Miami coming up. So he'll have to play field corner in the base and nickel quite often in the nickel package, just so Troy Pride and Nick Watkins aren't out there as much because Sean Crawford in the base with Julian Love at field corner, that's a good way to match up with Miami's receivers. It was strange that Sean Crawford only played 26 snaps. Yeah, that is odd, and he had been playing plenty at field corner. I think that's right. been part of the rotation they've moved. Now, Pete, you mentioned tendonitis is probably an issue for Nick Watkins, but so are some mistakes, and I think I couldn't really get a straight answer out of Brian Kelly. In fact, he answered it in the opposite direction on Thursday because I think he's kind of protecting Watkins, which is fair. Love has been moved to the boundary for the last three games because the boundary corner gets thrown at more, and they want their better corner there, period. Yeah, It's not a conglomeration of their abilities it is we need Julian Love at this position that's why I just wonder if you can see Crawford play a little bit more field corner and if he does the kid will be tired because he's got to play nickel too yeah we probably should mention the 710 yards offense that Notre Dame put up because uh, semantics though. <laughs> yeah, <that's> just, <laughs> because that was significant and I you know I know I think we talked about this on our Thursday podcast because Priester brought up after USC or maybe it was NC State like he was like wow Brandon Wimbush is really starting to get it going and I was like, eh, I don't know, I, I guess. I mean, I see little sort of subtle gains here and there. But, I mean, you would have to be blind not to see what's happening with Brandon Wimbush now. Um, this was, to me, his, his best game by far. Uh, you know, accounts for 390 yards passing slash rushing and three touchdowns. Uh, showed, I thought, incredible toughness. When you see the replay, the hit on the 28-yard run on his left hand, I one, I'm shocked that nothing was broken because uh, it just got destroyed by a helmet. Um, so good toughness, very productive, and frankly, kind of some attitude after the game. Not in a bad way, but he got up there and said he was asked a, a little bit about the performance because clearly they did not dominate Wake Forest in the way that they dominated a lot of other teams and. His quote, I'll read it to you, is, Coach talks about a mindset of dominating our opponents, not just winning games. I think that's what we want. I think that's what we built for the last eight months. Obviously, with the score we had today, we didn't dominate our opponent. We'll go back and we'll evaluate the film, and I think next week when we head down to Miami, I think it will be the same outcome with a W, but a more dominant and convincing win. It wasn't boastful. It was just It was a matter of fact. We're just going to go down there and kick crap out of them um, the way that we've kicked crap out of everybody else. And... The fact that your quarterback can get up there and comfortably say that, um, while I've had a lot of Miami fans tweeting at me about it, and some are tagging Mark Richt and starters on the Miami defense in the tweet, I think it's it's a positive development uh, in terms of Brandon Wimbush as a leader. 390 yards total offense and 100 yards lost in drops, right? Yeah. He's had a, he had a great... Could be a 500-yard game. He had a great day. Um Notre Dame averaged until their last drive where they weren't trying to score anymore. On first down, 10.14 yards per play. So they averaged a first down on first down. 710 yards is the result. It is a rolling offense that if they don't get cute, you mentioned getting cute defensively, if they don't get cute, they will simply run for 300 yards again against Miami, number six Miami, on the road. Yeah. Because they will not, if it just don't, don't put yourself in a position where you have to pass. Let Wimbush throw from a position of strength, and you will run for 300 yards, and you can tag anybody you want. Because it's nothing to do with confidence for Brandon Wimbush. It has confidence to do with five guys that block, 
better as a unit than anyone else in the country. Pete, you pointed this out to me. I ended up putting it in the Monday Musings. Notre Dame had, I think, seven guys carry the ball at least twice. One of them did not average more than 5.9 yards per carry, and his name is Josh Adams. Right. So I think they have a rolling offense. Their offense is going to continue to roll until they play a defense that can get in their way and really, you know, and the other three teams in the playoff yeah. picture can. That is the first defense you're going to see bow up and play this team against the run. Yeah. I, you know, another point on Wimbush, I even like the attitude that he had about how pissed he was on the third down run that he got thrown for a three-yard loss. Um, he... It looked like he, he was pissed at Tony Jones. Quint Nelson slips on the play. He, if he makes that block, it's a long run. Um, but there's just there's a lot of good things happening there. Uh, one is the, hand, the health of his left hand, uh, where it's just a contusion. Josh Adams, his injury, frankly, a little bit more mysterious in the fact that Brian Kelly just doesn't want to say right. what it was other than it was not a concussion. If you watch his snaps... The, the fumble that Wimbush had, Adam's left ankle gets caught underneath the pile, and you can trying see... Trying to make a block. He's trying to make the block, right? Um, he comes no, running back? No, the, it's just a fumble. Oh, okay. it's, oh it's, the, it's, after the play. Yeah, okay. the, it's the, the, the loo- loose ball is happening there. Um, he comes down, he's on his back, and then it's Wimbush and maybe two Wake Forest players try to jump on the ball, and his left ankle gets landed on, and you can see him sort of slam his hand on the ground... Um, and then ask out of the game. He's played through sprained ankles all year. Uh, the fact that he was around on the sideline on the stationary bike is pretty encouraging. Um, I'm not one to sort of just take uh, take his word for it on that injury, but I, I do sort of take Brian Kelly's word for it on, on the Josh Adams injury that um, he will be okay against Miami, just based on his behavior throughout the game. Adams, I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, I think... You know, Notre Dame fans or fans of every team often say against a team, quote-unquote, like Wake Forest, well, can we rest someone? Well, when you rest someone, there's some give and take, right? Yeah. 48-37 instead of 52-30 to is probably the give and take on this one. When Josh Adams went out, these were Notre Dame's gains in the second quarter. 13-40, 13-50, 45-17, and 28. No Josh Adams on the field the second quarter. That's fine. Just... <laughs> They note as long as Mike McGlinchey, Quentin Nelson, and Sam Musper do not get hurt in the first quarter of Miami, their offense will have a great game, and we'll see if the defense can bounce back in that. I would assume they will because we've seen one game where they did not play well for four quarters. Yeah, at um, my not even my, play, not even level, qualified, not play well. We'll yeah, say that. My level of confidence in Notre Dame's offensive line playing well on Saturday is extremely high. Um, the wide receivers. Less confident. Uh, it was a uh, it was a really weird game for that group because Notre Dame was intent on pushing the ball vertically, which we've been talking about for a while on this podcast. That's the way to go. Um, there were some good things. They finished with twenty three completions, but it should have been twenty seven completions. Maybe Claypool drop, St. Brown drop. I believe Stefferson had one. Um, you know, even Cole Komet's drop, I believe, was a was a third down play. Yeah. Um, where just you know just need to make that catch and. It could have been a much sharper um, performance from that group, and that was another thing that struck me from Brian Kelly after the game. For someone, for a coach who's sort of changed the way he critiques players this year, he had no, he he was not shy about saying like, "Yeah, it's going to be basically a a tough week for them in practice. We we need to demand more." So if you're Dell Alexander in that receiver group, it's going to be a pretty meticulous. Week of practice. Figure three of those were concentration drops, which a coach hates. That cannot 
St. Brown was, come on, you got to make was, that catch. You're yeah. a guy that should make that catch. You know, it comes, go, bounces off your shoulder pad, I think yeah. I pointed out during the game. Chase Claypool targeted 12 times. He had had 22 in the previous, what were they at, eight games? Uh, 12 targets, and he made the most of it with 180 yards, but after he also had the egregious drop of the season. Now, thankfully for Claypool, and I asked him about this, did you need the confidence of making plays after that drop? He had a third down gain of 40, and then the touchdown. He said yes. Mm-hmm. He said, I was way, way down after the drop, and this is what we don't know about young players and what you don't know about a learning player. He had not let it go, and he said it meant the world to him that everybody on the team was trying to help him out of the funk. Apparently it took a lot longer mm-hmm. than you think it would for a successful college player, but good that he bounced back, and these guys are going to have a challenge on their hands. We'll talk about this a lot more Thursday because if you're doing – Strength versus strength versus strength, strength versus weakness. You know who has the advantage at certain spots. Miami's defensive backs have the advantage against Notre Dame's wide receivers. Yeah, I mean you, you can hear the analysis already. Notre Dame's receivers are not getting separation. It's because Miami's DBs are really damn fast. Um, I I don't know if there's anything else that I really took away from the game. I, I did think it was interesting the sort of icon video that Notre Dame puts up on its own website showed Brian Kelly talking to the team after the game and. He jumped right into like, I want you guys to feel good about winning a football game. Don't let anyone tell you that it's not hard work. And right. but then it was, but make sure you realize how close it is to being on the other side of the line. Where if you're not on your stuff, you can lose. So I, I, I thought the the tone and the tenor of BK post game to us, and the, certainly the players to us matched up what was being said in the locker room. It does. And I think, O'Malley, you said this in our instant analysis um, after we came back out on the field. Is this maybe the right performance at the right time for Notre Dame? I think it is. I think you couldn't have had it another time. I believe, I mean, you're not going to not be up for USC, but it, it's, it was probably the only team because they could score at will, absolutely at will. Wake Forest makes plays in the defensive line, but they're, they're, first of all, they're missing their best player in the secondary and are just smaller at the Notre Dame. You knew, what was 40 the minimum in this one? You know, looking back in the, at the game, I think it was the perfect time for it to focus on Miami. Not that a 52-10 to 10 win would have been bad, but I think mm-hmm. if you're going to get one of these, it was the right time. You certainly don't want it this Saturday in a hostile environment. So couldn't have timed out better, really, as a head coach. Um, and I think they have enough respect from the playoff committee that it has no effect on anything. Yeah, I it, I think it sort of showed the maturity of Notre Dame by various positions where the offensive line is incredibly mature. Um, the quarterback is maturing. Um, tight end, especially Durham Smythe, is incredibly yes. reliable right now. Um, but the receivers are, are sort of a young, immature group. Secondary is hit and miss. Um, you know, linebackers, I thought were not great. They did not, yeah. But it, it was, was not... Worst game since early in the season. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't think that group was, like, the real problem with what was happening. Yeah. Um, you know, and the defensive line had some moments, but was not... Um, not as sound. Not as good as it's been uh, throughout the course of the season. So it was... It was, like, it was just a really interesting performance that... <laughs> After, when we're, look, 710 when, yards, you pointed out, Pete. They yeah. almost broke a program record and scored 48 points, and it's all lament afterwards. <laughs> but, so. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just interesting that you know, the vibe is like, okay, well, this, did Notre Dame get exposed? Is the blueprint how to beat them? Are they a team going in the wrong direction? I would be floored if this game ever came up again the rest of the season. <laughs> like, I don't think when we're 
at the uh, airport in San Francisco on Sunday after the Stanford game where we'll be like, you know what, it all went wrong at Wake Forest. And this was the point of your column, which I thought was really well written in that regard. I felt, just to kind of capitalize on that, I felt like watching Wolford was watching Navy's triple option with him passing. Felt that way. It was just like, what in the world? This is impossible to stop. How do yeah. humans stop this? But it's, you know, it was in control. Uh, you're not, look, not to disparage Miami because they have athletes coming out, they're, but they're not going to run that type of offense against Notre Dame. They might beat Notre Dame, everybody. you can't count that. You can't count Miami as a win. And they have plenty of players that can come and rise up against Notre Dame, but it won't be, it won't look like that. You're not going to see this crisp, efficient, we know exactly what we're doing at all times, short pass and they're still running and there's gaps because Notre Dame's overcompensating. That will not be the case this Saturday. Yeah, so, I mean, these are the three numbers that I think are most important to remember from the Wake Forest game if you're looking at Notre Dame's defense. 88, 41, and 3. 88 plays run, 41 career starts for quarterback John Wolford, and three years with Mike Elko's defensive playbook in your own football office. <laughs> that all mattered. And that's kind of, that triumph, like, Notre Dame isn't going to face one of those dynamics in each of the next three games, let alone all three at the same time. I thought that really showed. So that's it for segment one, Irish Illustrated Insider. We've got a bunch of questions from our readers and Twitter coming up next. Irish Illustrated Insider is brought to you by Anderson, Augustino, and Keller, attorneys at law, with offices in South Bend, Indiana, serving the local community's legal needs, with a diverse and innovative group of lawyers. Let their team be your edge on legal matters. Contact the lawyers at Anderson, Augustino, and Keller at 574-288-1510 or visit their webpage at aaklaw.com. Segment two, Irish Illustrated Insider. We've got a couple Twitter questions before we jump into questions for our readers. The first one is sort of a combination question, a little bit uh, off the radar here, from John Bloss and Andy Cotto, and they both want to know, is it time to get C.J. Holmes some work, considering the injuries to Dexter Williams and Josh Adams? No, because Josh Adams isn't hurt, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, Dexter Williams is. I think we can stop, and I brought this up last week, actually, in kind of a game preview that I thought Dexter Williams might be the November call-up. They had Chase Claypool in September, Stefferson in October, Williams and Brian Kelly said it's a thigh injury now. He did not, he's not Dexter Williams right now. I don't think you need to get him some work. You know, he's probably getting some in practice mm-hmm. if you could rest Williams, but that's going four deep. McIntosh, they love the way McIntosh runs because he's, get, get get my four yards and then everything else is on me. Yeah. Um. So no, it wouldn't be time, but he has burned his red shirt and he plays on special teams all the time. So he's available. I'm sure he's, he's totally with the varsity. I would think that maybe you could do this for Navy. I don't think, hey, let's go to Miami, college game day, prime time, like, guys are in your face, like, nobody, nobody, (laughs) I don't think emotions against Navy are going to be quite as high as they are against Miami, and I don't think I would stick a true freshman out there just to see what happens, um, just to get me a few extra carries. As long as you can have Adams, Jones, McIntosh. I think you'll be okay with that. I want to follow up just briefly with Kelly on Jones because he had such a good first half with eight carries, 54 yards, and a touchdown mm-hmm. to get two carries in the second half in relief of McIntosh a little bit. I know they just probably decided, hey, we're going to McIntosh to run this game out because he's very good at it, but mm-hmm. a little bit odd. Yeah, it was strange. Uh, the other Twitter question also running back related from Irish Guy, and he wants to know, how much of a hit do you think Josh Adams' Heisman campaign took last weekend? Not at running back, but Baker Mayfield's the leader. Um, yeah. And 
It's gonna be he's in, gonna, Ve- in Vegas. In, in Vegas and yeah, in in Vegas. Um, seven, he's almost seventy two percent and great games against the best team, the two two of the best teams they've played. Uh, that's the only hit. But Baker Mayfield had a very well timed big game. Yes, and he had a real big game. Um, Plus, he has one to look back on and, and to kind of put him on the map in the it, first place. Yeah, and he has two more big games to come because they have TCU this weekend, and then he'll probably play TCU again. TCU could take him out of it. That's also true. That's, yeah, um, the first matchup this weekend. But in terms of the running backs, Saquon Barkley, Bryce Love both lost. Neither of them hit 100 yards. Uh, Bryce Love had a 50-yard touchdown, but I think only finished with 65 yards, maybe. Um and Barkley was about the same, so it. I, I it's think Saturday, it of, yeah, for and, Josh Adams, it is Saturday because it's not Navy, and I think he needs momentum before the Stanford game to be able to pass. Yeah, Mayfield or to be there in the in the conversation. If Josh Adams does to Miami what he did to NC State and USC, um, he will be just fine. Um, he he will. I don't know if he'll be the front runner with a 175 yard two touchdown game, but. I think he will surpass Barkley in love. Yeah, I think he's the second guy. I mean, maybe it's di- then you're relying on Mayfield not to light it up and to lose the game. Exactly, exactly. I will say, if you haven't... Not that we're here to promote <laughs> Notre Dame's in-house uh, media video production company, but the Josh Adams Heisman trophy video that they did was really good. Just poorly timed. Yeah, just, <laughs> yeah th- it, uh, before, <laughs> it was the best video I've ever seen for five carries, 22 yards, but... If you haven't seen it, it's worth checking out. They did, they did a really nice job of that. Uh, Irish in RVA, do you think Notre Dame did enough in this game passing life to move the needle in terms of how Miami prepares for the game? Um, yes and no. I mean, I think that Miami should know that Notre Dame is going to take a lot of deep shots because that's sort of what they've been successful at all year. I think if there was something Miami would come away from last week and think, oh, okay, that maybe changes how we're going to deal with them it's like okay the intermediate game is a little bit more or ooh, he's he's pretty accurate outside the numbers here um you know where you have catches falling out of bounds whether it be Smythe against NC State or EQ um there's like a third and seven ten yard type of pass that he threw I think it's on the first half it's a really nice ball um the fact that he can throw that pass now I think is significant so Maybe Miami can gamble less in terms of where they're putting their defenders um, when Notre Dame passes it. They have they have to respect his ability to throw it intermediately now in a way that in the past maybe you could just bail deep and make sure you have a safety way over the top to, to deal with some of these deep balls. I am yes for all those reasons and no for a very important one. I don't want them to throw the ball 30 times again <laughs> against Miami. I think that'd be bad strategy. You're not getting 88 plays. In this game, you're not getting 80. You might not be getting 75. Uh, it is a 2-to-1 run-to-pass ratio against Miami. Same thing against Stanford. It can be 0% against Navy if you really want to win the game by never throwing a ball and just running the entire time and scoring 42 mm-hmm. points as a result. I think Notre Dame has the threat, and he will take some deep shots, and I like how they are aggressive early and settle into the run, but the only thing I didn't like in that 710-yard 48-point performance beat... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Go on. You know, a couple of the you're rolling down the field and you throw a couple bubble screens. I like to roll down the field and take shots. That's yeah. cool. Um, I wouldn't do the bubble screens against Miami. In fact, I think they have something set up on the bubble screens against Miami because of the bubble screens they threw. It did feel like yeah. some of the the bubble stuff that they were throwing early was just to put it on tape. Yeah. Um, 
or just to see how Wake Forest was going to defend it. Um, yeah, that's that's probably the likely one, but now it's on tape. Yeah, I think I think a lot of times fans and media miss the boat on they ran that play, it didn't work. Why are they running that play? They have better plays. It's to set up something else either that week or another week. Well, it's a touchdown this week is what you're saying, clearly. That's yeah. The, yeah. Well, what will be will be like they're throwing the bubble screen again, but instead of Claypool blocking and the pass going to EQ, it's going to be Claypool running down the sideline uncovered for a 60-yard touchdown. Uh, next up, Golden by name, and this ties into a lot of Twitter questions we got. With everything that happened on Saturday, is Notre Dame still in a win-out and you're in for the playoffs? Yeah, almost everything that happened was ideal for Notre Dame. Uh, it really couldn't have been better timing that, because remember, it's a committee of 13 people that should know what they're doing more than the coaches and AP poll. Clemson won by seven points a week after Notre Dame took mercy on NC State and won by 21. Clemson struggled with Wake Forest more than Notre Dame did because there was game pressure in a 28-14 game. The only team that moved up at all is Oklahoma, and they're not passing Notre Dame. Now, Notre Dame handles Miami, and Oklahoma handles TCU. You made the point prior to this. Maybe number four is in jeopardy. Because Oklahoma's yeah. kind of on the roll. But Notre Dame, they would have to have a nail-biter against Navy, I think, to beat the problem. Because you go down to Miami and win 30-27, to and it, it, you've solidified it. They're undefeated. Mm-hmm. You're solidified where you are. Um, the best thing that happened was Miami won. The second best thing that happened was Ohio State lost, and then Penn State lost. And In conjunction with Michigan State winning. In conjunction with Michigan State winning, yeah. That's, it, it all worked out well for Notre Dame, and I, I think everybody knows that Notre Dame led 34-10 to 10 at one point in this game. Yeah, I, I looked last week couldn't have gone better for Notre Dame's schedule with the exception of Stanford losing to Washington State, but maybe there's a positive there that Stanford just isn't very good, and that makes them easier to beat at the end of the year. Um, Miami beating Virginia Tech, Michigan State beating Penn State, USC holding on against Arizona. They're the hidden gem here yeah, for Notre Dame. Because they're going to finish 10-2. and two. Um, And they lost by 100. Yeah, they're going to finish ten and two, and Michigan State is probably going to finish nine and three. Uh, those are really nice wins, and I, I also think uh, a good thing that happened on Rams schedule wasn't necessarily NC State losing, but NC State losing by a lot less to Clemson than they lost to by Notre Dame. And I think if if there was a team with one loss that should be concerned about its position with the playoff, it should be Clemson. Is there the remaining schedule is Florida State, who is obviously a shell of what it used to be. They got blown out of Boston College a couple weeks ago. The Citadel, not from Game of Thrones, shell of an what, actual school. <laughs> shell of what they used to be, yeah. 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 Uh, South Carolina, I guess. Has anyone watched them? Not really. They beat NC State. Um, and then Miami probably in the ACC, almost certainly in the ACC championship game. Now... Notre Dame already has sort of a transitive property head-to-head win over Clemson by virtue of the NC State game. Boston College is a wash. Those were both blowouts. Then you have Miami. If, if Notre Dame is very good on Saturday night at Miami and Clemson is very good against Miami in Charlotte, North Carolina, that's still a win for Notre Dame. Um, so I feel like... Do I, do I sit here and say Notre Dame controls its own destiny when there's a potential endgame scenario of Georgia being 12-1, and Alabama being 13-0, and Oklahoma being 12-1, and Clemson being 12-1, and Notre Dame being 11-1, and Wisconsin being 13-0? and No, I, I wouldn't say, oh, it's, it's, a, it's a lock, but it feels highly, highly, highly likely, and a strong performance, uh, I think, on Saturday would 
then you might be able to say Notre Dame controls its own destiny if, if you want. Even to after set a strong performance. A strong Saturday. performance yeah. against Miami, uh, beating an undefeated top 10 team on the road, uh, I think would be a real significant statement that would consolidate Notre Dame's position at number three. Is the second most important game this weekend, Georgia favored by two and a half at Auburn for Notre Dame fans? Uh, that's a good question because you feel like if Georgia loses, then they're out if they lose to Alabama as well. Um, right. So it opens a spot. Yeah. But right now that's like a... Because I, I think right now the assumption is fair and accurate is that Alabama and Georgia, can either of them can lose once and they both will still make it. Um, Alabama might have to lose three times. Not to get it. It's just... <laughs> it's, <laughs> but yeah, Georgia... How do, how do you feel about Mercer? <laughs> Uh, that's a, it's it, I mean that's a tough this is a tough spot for Georgia so that's obviously TCU beating Oklahoma would kind of open up some stuff for for Notre Dame but it, on the back end you don't have to really worry about that Wisconsin just doesn't move the needle until the Big Twelve they're to the Big Ten championship well I, I'm not sure that's true that's true because Wisconsin they have Iowa and Michigan at home and Michigan in back to back weeks yeah. they're both both games are in Madison that's the key that's, do you think they're gonna sweep those games? I feel like probably. I think they will. Yeah. In, oh, really? I think okay. they will in Madison. Um, they'll beat Iowa as a different human. They're just not the same thing. When and then it's, of Kinnick. But Michigan in a spoiler role is a tough spot for Wisconsin. I, yeah, and then you're. Does Ohio State mail in the Big Ten championship game? Probably not. But if they lost to Michigan <laughs> a week earlier, I do think you would get a really weird, unpredictable Ohio State in that game. Uh, and if they lost to that, they would finish nine and four, um, which is kind of hard to get your yeah. head around as well. So, I, I mean, I like Notre Dame's position. They've done basically everything that they could do, short of beating Georgia and holding Wake Forest out of the end zone for in, one more time in the final minute, um, which allowed Wake Forest to cover. By the way, um, so I, I like Notre Dame's position. Um, so, to answer the question, are they still in if they win out? I feel like they almost certainly are. Next, dip 98 is Troy Pride earning himself more playing time due to strong play in practice and at times in games, or are the coaches not pleased with Watkins' recent performances and trying to find another option? I I think it's both, um, but I think it's significant that it's also the latter because uh, I think Nick Watkins got... The season got off to a good start, then maybe it leveled off, then I felt like he was playing well again. Um, I don't know how much the tendonitis that Brian Kelly has mentioned is, a, is affecting him. It sounds like it's sort of an intermittent injury that's going to flare up sometimes and be fine others. Uh, regardless, they need four corners ready to go the rest of the way. So if, if you want to have pride ahead of Watkins, great. But you need to have Watkins available. And um, I'm a little concerned that that's going to be a lot less reliable than it was three weeks ago the good thing is that pride is three games in to playing quite a bit now three yeah three total games in in his uh back pocket mm-hmm. um that sean crawford can actually play that field position and start there i guess the bad news is that love and watkins are the only reliable guys that can play on the boundary that's what kind of was interesting they moved love there in the last three games vaughn just hasn't played enough you're certainly not gonna put him in there against miami and, yeah that's and, a, and, it's yeah. the same thing as cj holmes Right, and you're not getting any uh, any real work from a corner uh, in the Navy game anyway. So I think mm. it's good that Troy Pride now has the experience before going to Miami. That's not his, say, second game. But mm. Troy, Troy Pride, if he plays most of the game, is going to be targeted a lot mm-hmm. in the field side corner. And that's, 
I, I just think Sean Crawford is going to play a bigger role this week, but I, I do think, I mean, Pride's capable, and if that was Pride's first action, I'd be really worried about this week. Mm-hmm. He's had to gain some confidence. He seems pretty confident after every play that he makes anyway, if you noticed. He's, yeah. Yeah. He's, <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to let you know that he made a play. He has no problem with that. Uh, F, or I'm sorry, SF Castillo. With the great spring that Miles Boykin reportedly had, are you surprised at how little he has played, especially given the overall substandard play of the receivers this year? I like the end of the question. <laughs> it makes, makes it all valid. Yeah. Um, you know, not because he wasn't... He didn't carry that over into August, necessarily. We never thought Boykin was Mr. August this year, like we have some guys yeah. in the past, like Nick Witcher and, and some other guys in past seasons. Um, he is getting a little more involved. He had eight targets... He has eight targets only on the season. Um, it didn't change that much more this week where he only had two, I believe. But he started out with, just to get a quick look, zero in the first two games, including a did not play. And he's had two, two, and two in the last three games, mm-hmm. and those were home games. So he plays a fair amount of snaps. Um, he can block, and I think that's why he's getting some time. And, and quite frankly, he's behind EQ, and there's just not that many available to him. Yeah, it's... It's kind of one of those things where it's like, if you want to play him, who are you going to play him over? Yeah, you have developing Claypool, developing Stepperson, and EQ is your best receiver. So None of those guys. Right. Um, you play two tight ends, that takes away a position. Right. There's just not availability for him. I mean, I think if, if the question was, name a receiver you're surprised hasn't played a little bit more, I actually would say Michael Young. Um, based on what we saw in yeah. camp, I thought they would there would be a yes, bit what we saw there would camp. be a bit part for him somewhere, and that that really hasn't developed either. But and this isn't like a complaint or saying like they should play these guys more. They should play the guys that they're playing exactly in the ratios that they're playing them. After you put up seven hundred ten yards, uh, there's there's no other way around. Just start banging the drum to get the backup freshman. Probably my first question to BK on Tuesday: Why aren't you playing Michael Young more in the passing game? Then I'll just leave it there. See how he replies. The last question comes from J. Lo Raw. How does Miami's front seven compare to Georgia, Michigan State, and NC State? Obviously, the other three quality defenses the Irish have faced. Um, well, they're a heck of a lot more talented than Michigan State uh, in terms of how athletic they are. NC State and Georgia, they're a lot younger. I think that's... that's I would the, just remove Georgia from the conversation. Yeah, too. Georgia is like, how are they different from this... AFC West defense that you played. Um, I mean, these are, if you look at their front six, so like if they're in sort of a nickel set, their two linebackers are both true sophomores. And I think the the third guy who comes in is also a true sophomore. Um, and then their defensive line. Uh, a little undersized compared to yeah. the NC State group. They've got a junior, a sophomore, and a sort of part I think R.J. McIntosh is a junior. Uh, Deion McIntosh's older brother and then the the sort of stud guy that they have is Chad Thomas um, who's sort of a three-year starter type of defensive end and he's about 270 275 yeah. um, Demetrius Jackson if the name rings a bell is about 265 he's out I believe out this week yeah he is out this week uh, and he is a seven of their tackles for loss that's a that's a that's a solid number for yeah. people that don't look at the stats every day um, yeah McIntosh is kind of the guy that is the size speed ratio that you need in there and everybody else is a little undersized and quick but undersized and quick can work well because it's not like 
you're going to man up and play straight up against Notre Dame's front either. So athletes that are undersized and can make plays is crucial, but I don't think you want to put Georgia in this conversation. They had guys that could hold the point, and then mutant linebacker forms running behind them making plays all over the field. Yeah, it's no, nothing is like Georgia. And I know that <laughs> NC State week, BK was like, yeah, their front reminds me a lot of Georgia. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Just the, uh, they are football players. I mean, they have that in common, and they have red as a dominant color on their uniform. That's it. Um, I think Miami is its a fast, light, attacking defense that if, if Notre Dame was playing its old style of offense would be a real concern because it's not somebody that you're going to throw bubble screens or, or run a whole lot of horizontal type stuff. Um, I'm fascinated to see how they hold up when somebody tries to beat them up. I would say two thoughts on that. I wouldn't be concerned if it was the old offense because Notre Dame would be 4-4. Four and four. And number two, um, <laughs> it's not offense didn't work, obviously. But this one's beautiful on the, on the contrary. To put a kind of fine point on Miami's speed, they now Notre Dame for the second week in a row plays the nation's leader in tackles for loss. Uh, when they got rid of Wake Forest was the leader in that regard, but Wake only had four. They averaged nine and a half. And Miami now leads the nation, and 40% of their tackles for loss come on sacks. So staying ahead of the chains and not having to deal with the speed is kind of the key to tease into Thursday. Yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be a fun, uh, fun matchup to dissect on our next podcast. We'll be back Thursday for that. So until then, Tim O'Malley, I'm Pete Sampson. Thanks for listening to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider.